I'm Meg Dahl, your Unbreakable host. Welcome to the show. and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. Now, I won't keep you too long in this intro. I don't have much else to say other than the fact that I am working to amplify Black voices within our community this week and ongoing. So if you follow me on Instagram, I am Meg Dahl is my handle over on Instagram and I have been sharing the work and the teachings and posts and wisdom, education, trainings, all the things from the incredible black people within our community and online space and ways that we can learn from them and support them and really dive into all of the incredible resources that they have for us so we can be active anti-racists. So I was thinking about way back when I had Chrissy King on the show within the first year of this podcast. She was episode 39. I absolutely love Chrissy King and I wanted to circle back to the episode that her and I recorded a while ago and share what she was sharing back then because it is about diversity and inclusivity and I just absolutely loved our conversation and I thought it was a really great time to circle back and share this episode with you again. So I'm re-recording the intro here And now let us go over to the conversation that I had with Chrissy King. If you don't yet follow Chrissy King on Instagram, you can find her at I am Chrissy King. She's amazing. And I will be joining her for her online workshop for anti-racism within your health and wellness business. So if you are a entrepreneur that is in the health and wellness and fitness space, I really recommend and highly suggest and encourage you to go on Chrissy King's Instagram account. I am Chrissy King. Click on the link that she has in her bio and you can see all the time slots that she has open for this workshop. I'm booked in for next Tuesday, and I would love to see you there as well. So I am Chrissy King for that info, and I hope you'll join me and enjoy the show. Chrissy is brilliant, and I absolutely love her inside and out, and you're going to absolutely enjoy this conversation that her and I had a couple years ago. Hey, Chrissy. I am so happy to have you on the show with me today. Honestly, I've been waiting for this conversation to happen. 
Oh, I'm really excited to be on. So thanks for inviting me to chat with you today. Yeah, of course. So I have been following you on Instagram for a while now, and every single post of yours is so well thought out and really makes you think. There's so much goodness in every single post of yours. So I'm familiar with who you are and what you're all about, but I know I'm going to even learn more about you throughout the next hour or so. And what about our listeners? For those who aren't familiar with your work, can you give us a little bit of an intro to yourself? Absolutely. Um, So my name is Chrissy. I currently reside in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So I'm in the Midwest right now. Um, And I'm a strength and nutrition coach. Um, I do a lot of one-on-one coaching. Um, Also do a lot of strength-related do-it-yourself programs. Um, Strength is a very big part of my narrative um, and what I'm really passionate about. Um, And then I also am a writer. Um, So I write a lot about uh, fitness, but also like intersectional feminism and how those two things are connected in my mind. Um, And yeah, so a little bit of all the things. Yeah, and I just want to highlight one of the things that you do. So the strength coach part. Why don't we talk a little bit about that to start off with? Because on one of your most recent Instagram posts, it was just at the end of October, you were talking about how you were not strong at all growing up. And that you actually say that you were the complete opposite and your family joked about how weak you were. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, I did not grow up doing uh, too many sports or anything very athletic. Um, I was spending like all my time reading books and like writing. I was like, thought I was going to be a writer when I was growing up. So yeah, I spent a lot of time doing that. And I um, just wasn't into strengths at all or athletics or anything. And so, yeah, it was like an ongoing joke in my family that I was just like a weakling. Um, And people weren't being mean. Like, I wasn't offended that they said that. I was just like, yeah, I'm just weak. Like, that's what it is. And I, in my mind, I thought like some people are weak. Some people are strong. That's just the way life works. Um, And so I joined a gym when I was in my early 20s. And I joined the gym only because my sister was joining the gym. She got a trainer. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get a trainer. Um, And my first session with my trainer, she was like, I told her, like, I'm here because I want to be skinny. Like, that's why I'm here. And she's like, okay, cool. Let's go do pick up some weights. And I was like, whoa, whoa. Like, why are we picking up weights? I don't have an interest in that. Um, And she was like, no, it's going to help you reach your goals. Like, just trust me. So I was like, okay. Um, So I did my first 30 minute session and it was so hard. Like, I did not know how I was going to make it through 30 minutes. Like, and she wasn't asking me to do anything extraordinarily difficult. Like it was very basic movements because I wasn't new to strength training and it was just really hard. But I kept going back. I committed to it and I kept going back. And then I started to notice that like, oh, things that were like, example, like, like walking lunges, like just body weight walking lunges were like extraordinarily hard for me when I first started. And then I started to notice that like, oh, they were getting a little bit easier. Um, and then I could like add more weight to some other things I was doing. Um, and so then I really kind of started to really enjoy the process. Um, and eventually I realized that like, wow, I actually am getting kind of strong here. And and that's when I helped, I, I, I think I started to realize that like strength is a skill just like anything else, right? Like you can build strength. Um, and eventually I got introduced to powerlifting and that's where really things really, really transformed for me because um, I was actually naturally like pretty good at powerlifting. Um, even though I hadn't been lifting that long before, I was actually like 
pretty strong in a lot of the movements right away, which is kind of surprising. Um, but I just absolutely fell in love with powerlifting then. Um, and it just transformed so many things for me because a part of it is that I realized that my narrative around strength had been a false narrative and that also there was a lot of other narratives in my life that weren't true, things I had been telling myself that just weren't true. Um, so I took like every bit of physical strength that I joined in, or that I gained in the gym, it like really transformed into like every part of my life. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. And honestly, this one particular Instagram post of yours, it just resonated so much with me. It brought up memories of me being in about like grade seven, grade eight in elementary school. And I was also very, very weak. I was on the volleyball team and couldn't even get the ball over the net when I went to serve it. And I was just like so ashamed with myself and dealt with a lot of shame and guilt. And like you, I felt like, okay, this is just part of who I am. I'm just not strong. And all of these other girls are strong and I'm weak. So that is a false narrative, as you're saying. And one of the other pieces of everything that you're saying that I absolutely love talking about is how gaining strength, like gaining physical strength from weightlifting, for an example, can spill into so many other areas of your life. And I just want you to share your thoughts on that with me because it's just such it's so powerful and when someone steps into the gym for the very first time or begins lifting a barbell for the very first time they have no idea what's coming at them in terms of life changes and how they are going to be stronger in so many other areas of their life. Yes, absolutely. And so I think, yeah, it's so it was so transformative for me because for one, like kind of like what you alluded to, it's like I did not step into the gym thinking that like, oh, this is going to like transfer into like so many areas. I'm going to seem like a stronger person mentally and emotionally as well because of strength training. Like that was never what I thought would happen. Um but a lot of lessons I think from the gym carry into life. One of them being particularly with like powerlifting is that um, like I can do hard things. Like that's kind of my mantra for life. And I think when I think about uh, just the things that I did in the gym that are really hard, that in the moment feel like really difficult, but I was able to do them. It is reminding me that like I can do hard things in every part of my life all the time. Um, and so that was just really um, important and really informative for me. And I think who, again, going back to like the idea of false narratives, I realized that like, I can look at other things in my life, other areas of my life and think like, what am I not doing in other areas of my life that I, I'm not doing because I thought like, it's just not possible for me. Um, and how am I holding myself back in those things that I maybe just haven't even tried because I thought I couldn't do it. Right. Um, and so like for me, finding my way back to writing is part of that because I was as I talked about earlier, I definitely was like writing and reading all the time when I was growing up. And then I like, you know, grew up and like became an adult and I just like didn't spend time doing that. Um, and like 
strength training like helped me realize like I do have a love for writing. So like, why did I ever stop doing it? I don't really know. And so I can do that now. So I started a blog and I started writing a lot more. Um, and even training and coaching other women, like I never imagined that I'd be doing that in life. And if you knew me like, you know, 10 years ago, even you'd be like, there's no way she'd ever be doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, and here I am doing it though. And so I think that all of us, and it doesn't have to be a coaching or training or writing. It can be whatever it is in your life that maybe is a thing that you've always kind of wanted to do, but never like saw yourself as that person or never thought that you had the skills to do it. Um, I guarantee you that you have the skills to do it. And, and remembering that anything that we need to do or learn to do things are skills and that they take time and practice and investment, just like going to the gym. Like I didn't wake up one day able to like deadlift hundreds of pounds. Like it was going there consistently and showing up for workouts and enjoying the process um, and doing the work, right? Which is like reps in the gym that led me to be able to be able to do deadlift hundreds of pounds. So everything is a process and everything takes practice. And like those same lessons that from the gym can be applied to like anything in life. Oh, I love that so much. And I really want to dive into more of this narrative stuff because I'm super into that. And I know my listeners love it when I have guests on that are open and willing to tackle that topic with me as well. But before we dive into that, there's just one more question that I have about training for you, because I know so many of my listeners struggle with um, exercise obsession or they have, has that ever been part of your journey from like going into weightlifting for the very first time? Have you ever had like a negative relationship with it at all? No, 100%. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so like when I first started um, working out, like strength training was difficult and I didn't necessarily like it. Um, but I still showed up a lot all the time, actually. Um, and I also was doing a lot of cardio. Um, so there was a very long part of my journey where I was like pretty obsessive about my relationship with the gym, um, and working out, um, and even like obsessive habits around food where like, if I thought I ate too much or ate something I wasn't supposed to eat, like I would go to the gym at like 11 o'clock at night to like do some extra cardio. So there was definitely a long period of time where my relationship with the gym wasn't healthy. Um, and I would miss out on social, like there was nothing, like you weren't going to make me miss my workout. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Like, so if that means I had to miss an event or I had to come late to an event, or if I had to leave work early because I had another event that was going to interfere with the gym, I was going to do whatever I had to do to never miss my gym sessions. Um, and I don't think that's a healthy relationship because it wasn't like I'm going because I just love it so much. I can't miss it. It was from a place of like control. Like if I don't do this, this many times, like Am I going to gain weight? Am I going to lose strength? Like all these things that aren't healthy mm -hmm. um, was the obsession, was the reason behind the obsession. And I did that for like years. So it definitely took me a long time to reestablish my boundaries with the gym, with the way I was eating um, and changing my relationship with my body and body image to get to a place where I feel really healthy and whole. Um, and like now, like there's, times where like if I'm really busy with work projects or if I just have other priorities that like sometimes I get to the gym two or three times a week which is really 
a testament to like how much I've changed because that would have freaked me out years ago. Actually just wouldn't have happened at all. That wouldn't have been a possibility for me. Um, so I think that, you know, all, I think a lot of people go through phases with things like that. Um, and you know, if you're listening and you feel like you're currently in that place and you don't know how to break those habits, the one thing I want to always stress for people is to show yourself compassion because anybody who has been in that place and maybe now is in a better place, uh, went through a process and a lot of work to get to that place. It's not something that you can just switch on and switch off. Um, so it definitely takes effort and a lot of deep work to like work through those issues. Mm-hmm. And self-compassion is something that so many of us forget about, but I am so happy that you pointed that out. And really that has to be part of this entire journey for sure. So one other thing that I have to ask about, because so many of us use exercise as a way of control, as you mentioned, and we as women are under this impression that we have to become smaller. And I know a huge message that you have is to take up space. And you mentioned some body image stuff that was part of your journey. And obviously you are in a place in your life right now where you're fully embracing your body. And Chrissy, I'm pretty sure you mentioned somewhere that you're almost six feet tall. Yes. I am. Yeah. 5'11 and a little bit and some change. So basically almost six feet. Yeah. Yeah. So along your journey, you had to come to embrace your height and just like all of us are learning to embrace our bodies. And so can you share a little bit more about your body image journey and what it means to you to take up space? Because I love this. Of course, I'd love to talk about this. So um, going back to, in time, I went on my first diet when I was probably like, I don't know, 16 or 17. I was like in high school. I think it was a junior in high school. And um, I went on this diet because a boy that I went to school with like made a comment about my body. Um, and like, I think I knew that I had like gained weight, but I wasn't necessarily bothered by it until like this person pointed it out to me and I was like so embarrassed. Um, and I was like, oh man, I like, I gotta go on a diet because like someone is commenting on my weight and what I look like. And so at the time, like I didn't know anything about like nutrition or even like proper exercise habits. So I knew one person who had lost a lot of weight and that was like a friend of my mom. And I remember overhearing um, her talk about like doing the Atkins diet. So I like went to like the bookstore, bought the book on the Atkins diet and like followed it to a T at like 16 or 17. And I did lose a lot of weight really quickly. Um, And then like the response I got from people at school was just like, oh my God, you look so great. Tell me how you did it. Like, tell me what you're doing. And so like, that was like the moment where I started to realize that like people will reinforce you for being smaller. Like, and so I think in my mind, I just was like, oh, that's, that's like the goal. That's the quest to always be smaller because people appreciate the way you look and affirm how you look. So that must be like what you're supposed to do. And so that was like kind of the start for me. And then like from then on, like I was just always chasing leanness. I was always chasing being smaller um, and never in a very healthy way. So I would go on like a lot of yo-yo dieting or like Again, like with the Atkins diet, it's great. It wasn't really something that was sustainable for me at 16 or 17 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I know I went to college and I wasn't really doing Atkins and then I gained weight back and it was just 
back and forth situation. And during that entire time, I usually wasn't working out. And if I was working out, the only like thing I knew about working out was doing cardio. Um, so that's what I would do. Um, and it just was like always this on, on again, off again thing. And so when I finally like joined the gym and got a strength trainer at that time, like I was back in that place where I like wanted to lose weight and I like, and honestly, like I just wasn't in, um, I wasn't obviously in any like type of physical activity, engaged in any physical activity at all. Um, I didn't have like great eating habits and wasn't just feeling good in my body. Like I didn't have energy. Like I just didn't feel good. So when I did that, um, that's the first time like I incorporated strength training. And then I started working on nutrition habits and I eventually, um, found like flexible dieting or macro counting. And so I did that very obsessively for a very long time. And like, I had like phenomenal results and I looked great, I think to most people. And I got comp people commented on that all the time. But what I noticed is that like, no matter how much I shrunk my body or like i I always wanted more. So I'd be like, okay, I just need to lose five more pounds. And then I'd lose five pounds. I'm like, well, I just need to like fix this part of my body. And then I do that. I'm like, well, I just need to do this. And like, I was never happy, right? So even though like outwardly, I was getting probably like so much affirmation about the way I looked, I was miserable mm-hmm. inside for multiple reasons. I didn't like the way I looked still. Even, and that was like disappointing in itself because I think we put a lot of people put this emphasis on like, when I get to this body, when I get to this weight, everything's going to be great. And then you get to that place and you realize I still don't like myself. Like that's a, that's hard reality to face. Mm -hmm. And also to be really miserable with not being able to enjoy anything. Like I was so obsessive about tracking that like I would pack food if I was going away for the weekend. Like I, like the word flexible was like not true for me. It was not flexible (laughs) at all. It was actually completely so controlled. Um, and so I got to a point where, and people would like comment on it and said like, you know, kind of like, like family and close friends that like, maybe I have a little bit of a problem here in the sense that like, I never, like I'm always seeming to like want to get smaller and all these things. Um, but I didn't really want to accept that from people. Cause I was like, no, you guys don't understand. I just want to like, I love the way I look. I just want to get a little bit better. So anyways, I just had this moment where like, I realized that I just needed to stop because I was driving myself. Like, um, just, I was just not enjoying anything about life in, in general. Mm-hmm. So I decided to my macros, which was a really hard step for me to take. Um, and I started to cut back on like you know, the cardio and really start to like realize that I need to work on my relationship with my own body and body image. That was a long process. Um, and it took a lot of work to like get to a place where you understand and recognize that your body, how you look is no indication of like your worthiness and that you are worthy regardless um, and that none of that comes from the way we look on the external, um, in our external, external appearance is not at all about our worthiness and how much we deserve respect and like how much we deserve to be loved and appreciated. Um, and so once I really like, like understood that my body was not where my worthiness came from, that's when I like really found the liberation to like fall in love with just who I am myself as a person. Um, and that was kind of like a long winded answer, but that's kind of how I started to work on my relationship with my body and just to be really, really comfortable in my skin and realize that like your body is always going to be changing. Right. So mm-hmm. like, it's always going to be in different iterations and we have to be able to love our body in every iteration that we have, or we'll always find ourselves in this place of being unhappy. Yes. Yes. So often we are searching for happiness and love and so many other positive feelings outside of ourselves. And we don't realize that 
we need to go within to experience all of that so we can feel it on the outside as well. So I love that. And I also love long-winded answers. So you just keep (laughs) talking, girl. You can talk as much as you want here. This is your show. So yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Now, I do have a question since... You were using exercise to control your body and now you're obviously in a place where you still exercise, but it's not for the same reasons as before. So for women who are using exercise as a form of control, how important do you think it is to actually take like a chunk of time off from exercising or what do you think these women should be doing as some first steps? That's a really, that's a hard question. I think it's really tricky in that um, it can be really scary to take any of those steps. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it, and I don't encourage, I think it depends on the individual. Some people can do really well. where just like, you really recognize that you have a problem and you're like, I'm going to stop macros tomorrow or I'm going to stop working out seven days a week tomorrow and cut back um, and people can do that and like handle it for other people like I think it's sometimes important to like maybe gradually cut back like if the idea if you're working out seven days a week and you can't imagine not doing that and it's coming from a place of control because you want to control what you look like um, or control like your body or whatever um, I would suggest people start with going, cutting out one day a week, right? So instead of going seven days a week, go six days a week and slowly cut back. Because again, through that process, you'll recognize that if you stop working out seven days a week, like your body is still going to be fine. Like everything's mm-hmm. going to be okay. Same thing with tracking. Like if you're tracking seven days a week and you can't imagine not tracking, start having one day a week where you're not tracking and recognize that like you can trust yourself, right? Because it all comes from a place of trust. Like, do you trust yourself? Right. And when we make small promises to ourselves that we can keep, that's when we start to be able to build that self-trust if we don't currently have it. So, you know, like say this week, I'm going to work out six times a week instead of seven. And I keep that promise to myself. And I realized that everything was okay. It might have been challenging. It may have been difficult on that day that I wasn't going to the gym, but everything's fine. And then you can learn to develop that self-trust again. Mm-hmm. That is such great advice. And I just want to add in that I definitely had a period of time in my life where I was also addicted to tracking macros or just like using a calorie counting app. And I was using it out of pure like control and restriction. And there was a fear if I imagined going without it. And I think that's really a good thing to note in this episode is that if there is a fear present with not doing something like tracking macros or not going to the gym, if there's a fear present with that, that's a pretty good indicator that you might not have a healthy relationship with it. So yes, thank you so much for sharing that. And I know in my personal journey, I just stopped like tracking on weekends. And then I actually realized that I was a much happier and sane person on the weekends than I was during the week. So then I was like, huh, that's something, you know, important to take away from this experiment. So then I just kind of went all in like you did and stopped 
tracking all together. So thank you so much for sharing more about your journey. And now the taking up space, how does that show up in your life? And I know that's something that you coach women to do as well. Yes. So taking up space, um, sometimes that means like, like actually taking up space. And so like for me, that means that like, I don't have to shake my body. And if that's not something that I want for myself and that like, I need to like unlearn social conditioning around what made me think that shrinking was the best option for myself to begin with. And that I can physically take up as much space as I want. And then also figuratively like that I can just take up space in all areas of my life. Right. So that could be like in a corporate arena that can be in the business world that can be in, in um, like any of the endeavors that I want to do do that I don't need to shrink myself to like make other people more feel more comfortable right um and that all women like we deserve to take up space in all areas of our lives and that like the world needs us to show up like that um and that there is no um nothing nothing good happens when we just play small for the sake of playing small right mm-hmm. and like even though it's like it can be uncomfortable sometimes to, like show up large and and like take up space in your life and own unapologetically own who you are and I think a lot of that has to do with because like societally, we've been conditioned to be like, oh, I, you know, like women should just like maybe tone it down or whatever. And we don't have to do that, those things. And like so much great things happen when we just decide that like we deserve whatever it is that we want to accomplish and that we deserve to a seat at the table. We deserve to be like, you know, represented, represented in different industries. Um, and that we just unapologetically own that and walk into every room with confidence because we deserve, we deserve to be there. We belong there. Um, and I think there's just so much power in showing up fully as you are fully present and fully like confident in your abilities and who you are as a person. Yeah, absolutely. So this is kind of taking us back to more of what we were talking about at the beginning with changing the narrative. And I actually have a quote um, from you pulled up and I just want to read it for everyone. And then we can kind of start a conversation about this. So you said that we unlearn the scripts and release the social constructs we've been taught since birth. We free ourselves. The moment we unlearn something about ourselves is the moment we learn something about ourselves. That's when we begin to step in our power as women. And I absolutely love this because I think the thought of unlearning something can be really scary for some women. The things, the beliefs, I should say, the beliefs that we are holding on to since birth provide us with a sense of safety. So unlearning them and in the process, letting them go, it can be really scary. But I love how you put it that the moment we unlearn something, is the moment that we also learn something about ourselves. And that is powerful. Yes, I'm so glad, like everything you said, like I just agree 100%. And I'm so glad that you said that because I I totally agree. Like unlearning things that we've been taught since birth is scary. Mm-hmm. And it's uncomfortable. And like, it makes you question, like I thought I knew who I was and now I'm not sure I know who I am. And all of that comes with a, a, like a big level of discomfort. Um, and so that's why I like, when I'm talking about this stuff too, I always encourage people that like feelings of discomfort isn't a bad thing. Like sometimes when we feel uncomfortable, like our natural instinct is to want to withdraw from that, from that thought or from that idea or from whatever, because it's uncomfortable, but like 
we have to lean into the discomfort and embrace it um, because like going through that discomfort is what helps us get to the other side where feel will things feel better um, even though it may like take a while to get there. And, and it's so true that like when we start to unlearn the, the social conditioning, and I think it's important also to recognize that like all of us have this, right? Like it's not just some of us, like we've all been conditioned since birth to believe things. And I know I was, um, and it wasn't until like I, it wasn't until like my adult years where I really started to question like a lot of the things that I was raised to believe. And then I recognized like I didn't agree with all of those things and that I had kind of like blindly went along with it because of the household I was raised in, et cetera, and never had really spent any time actually thinking about what I actually believe, what are my value systems. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is scary and it's uncomfortable, but it's also so worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of like what you were just touching on a little bit there is a lot of the beliefs that we hold on to, like they've been with us since birth. So they're not necessarily super obvious things. So what were some of the beliefs that you were holding on to for much of your life? And then kind of tell us about the time where you realized that you had some changes to make. Yes, 100%. So um, I was raised in a very religious household. um, And like, I love my family. They're amazing people. My mom is just like one of the kindest, most generous, kindest people that you will ever meet. And I'm not just saying it because she's my mom. Like people are always like, your mom is amazing. She's a saint. I'm like, yeah, she's a saint. But even saints have issues, right? So my mom is... uh, much as I love her, she definitely has some like homophobic and transphobic ideologies. Um, and a lot of it is in her uh, religious views. Um, and so I was really raised from a very young age. Like I, when I say I was raised religious, I meant like we went to church like three or four times a week, right? Like this was no joke. So I was really raised with the uh, thought process and the belief that homosexuality is bad, that it's deviant, um, and that it's just like a wrong way to live your life. And so I didn't ever really question any of that until I was an adult. Like it just never even occurred to me that I should think differently about that. And I think one of the things that's really helpful for unlearning things or for just like even reframing the way we're thinking about things is when we're around people that are different from ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And like when we get out of the corner, the comfort of like the corner of our world where everybody thinks like us and believes like us, then you start to like come into contact with actual people that are different from you. And then you can reframe like the things that you thought were true. Um, And so that's been a big part of it for me. And like, so that's also why I talk a lot like in my my work, I talk a lot about diversity and inclusion because it's important, but also because being around people different from ourselves allows us to reshape what we believe to be true um, and to recognize that like maybe there's no merit to the way that I was thinking, or maybe I was thinking about something in a, in a way that's not actually true. Um, and so that's like one of the big ones for me is like reframing my narrative around that. Um, and interestingly, like, you know, also to bring to people's attention is that doesn't always mean that like, you know, my mom to this day, like we just disagree on that. Right. And mm-hmm. sometimes I think she probably wonders like how I ended up such a like progressive person. Cause I wasn't raised in a very progressive way. Um, and she doesn't necessarily understand a lot of the things that I believe. Um, and that's okay. Like, it's okay. If your family doesn't agree with you, um, it doesn't mean that like you need to go along with what they believe. Um, and it's, it's our responsibility as adults, I think to question the things that we've been raised to believe. Um, so that was a big one for me and there's tons more that I could go into about it, but that was um, that was a big one, and I had to unlearn all the things that I thought about homosexuality 
Um, and now I'm like a complete opposite from what my old prior beliefs were, but they took a lot of work. So, and it took a lot of like being honest with myself about my unconscious and implicit bias. And that's hard sometimes because when we start to uncover things about ourselves, we don't always necessarily like what we see. And that again, it's uncomfortable. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for being so open about that topic. And I'm just really happy that you brought up another area of your work. And that is diversity. And I know you actually have like a 101 webinar on how fitness professionals can include more diversity in their practice, correct? Yes, that is. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I believe that, well, my mission with this podcast, the Unbreakable You podcast is I want my listeners to leave each episode feeling more empowered than they were before listening to the episode. And one of your quotes is also empowerment is only as powerful as it is inclusive. And that's what makes this episode just so special to me because it's the first time we're talking about this on the podcast. Yes. So I would love to talk a little bit about this. And I think, um, you know, we talk about a diversity and inclusion and like why it's necessary. Um, I think one of the things that like we just always have to recognize um, is that like health and wellness is more than just like exercising and eating, right? And overall wellness also involves things like mental health and physical, I mean, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, right? Um, And so it's really important that we are approaching the way that we do our work and our practice with an intersectional lens and that we are thinking about how people's existence in the world are different, right? So um, as a black woman, my existence and like the way I experience the world is different from that of a white woman. That's not a good or a bad thing. It's just like the truth. Um, And so there are things that like would affect me that Uh, may not affect someone else. And that very much informs how I experience the world, how I experience my health and how I experience wellness. Um, And so it's just so important that we be recognizing that people are multidimensional um, and that people have different needs and people have different experiences um, and that we approach wellness with that in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So going above and beyond just including a wide variety of different types of people, how else can someone go about um, inclusion and things like that? Yeah. And I'm so glad you just brought that up because there's a very important distinction between diversity and inclusion. And what you just said is diversity, right? Like including a representation of a large amount of people is diversity. Inclusion is a step farther than that. So one way that like inclusion also is going to be dependent on like if you're a solopreneur, like blogger, for example, like that may be a little bit more typical, right? Because it's just you doing things. Right. Um, but to keep in mind for inclusion and particularly as it pertains to the wellness industry is like one thing that I noticed when I was first getting into the industry is I'd go to like conferences and events and like the panels and speakers would be like all white, for example, or largely male. Um, when I know that there are other practitioners doing this work that um, have the information to share that don't fit into those two categories. Categories. And so it's really important that like when you're planning events for one, that you are 
in making a, an effort to have people represented in all the speaker panels, right? So that no matter who comes to the event, they feel like they are represented and that the information resonates with them. And inclusion in that regard means that like whoever is planning this event, if there's a planning committee or if it's an organization, that is really important that the actual planning committee have people from different backgrounds. If they're a company organization, like, do you have different people of different backgrounds actually working for you? Mm-hmm. Right. Because I, I know I've heard this feedback a lot of times from people when I'm talking, like having these discussions with people is that, for example, like they never even, it never crossed their mind that someone would not feel welcome in a space um, because perhaps there's not representation in the, the, the lineup. And that, that is missed because like the organization or the company doesn't have anybody that's different working for them. And so lack of awareness a lot of times is because when something doesn't personally affect you, you don't notice it sometimes. Mm -hmm. So that inclusion piece is making sure that whatever you're doing, you are, are actually working to incorporate that, that you have people from different backgrounds actually working with you. Right. So this, there's a person who does, she's like an expert on diversity and inclusion, not in fitness, but just in general, And one of the quotes he says is that diversity is being asked to come to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance. So like, are you going above and beyond and being very intentional that people come into your space and feel a sense of belonging? Like they are wanted, like they, like the space is safe and welcoming for them that you've considered them. Um, One thing that I think we miss in fitness a lot, like there's a lot of things that we miss, but um, I know for myself, I had this personal example um, a few months ago, a friend of mine in the industry and I put on a two day powerlifting seminar and someone emailed me and was like, Hey, I'm really interested in coming to your event. She's like, but I'm an older adult and I don't know, like, would I be welcome there? Or is it something that you want to keep for like a younger audience? And I was like, Holy crap. Like that's the problem when someone thinks that like, they need to ask as an older adult, would they still be welcome to this event? Right. And that's, I think, one of the things that um, we don't talk enough about in, fit- in fitness is like ageism, right? Like when we go to a lot of events, how much do we see like older individuals represented there? And um, if someone doesn't feel welcome, like if you have to email me to ask me if you would be welcome in an event, that means that's something that I'm missing. I need to do better at that work. Mm-hmm. That is such a great answer, hun. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. So one of my questions is, let's say someone listening right now doesn't feel like they are being represented in a certain situation. And obviously you're a huge advocate for changing this situation. What would you say to this individual who isn't feeling represented? Like how can they um, stand up and get a little bit louder? Yes. So um, I only have one thing to say and it's uncomfortable for some people, but I think you have to just say something, right? Mm -hmm. And saying something can be really uncomfortable. And so that's one of the things I go over in the webinar is that like, if someone ever brings something to your attention, um, as like a practitioner or a person in charge of something and a person brings something to their attention to tell you, like, for example, they didn't feel represented or something that happened during the event was really offensive. I think it's really important that as the person getting that information, like you reject the, um, immediate feeling to feel defensive because it is incredibly uncomfortable to be the person bringing this to someone's attention, particularly if they didn't ask for your feedback. Right. Um, and so, yes, that I think that if you were ever in that situation, as uncomfortable as it probably will be, 
I think you need to bring it to someone's attention. Um, and that can be like an email. Um, it, you know, if you don't feel like comfortable in that moment, that's cool. Go home. You know, when you feel better about like having the ability to do it, send an email to the person, but it's really important that we bring things up because for one, number one, sometimes people do lack awareness around it. And number two, like, the only way things change is if people are talking about it. When we are all remaining silent about things that are happening, even when we maybe think it's a problem, that maintains the status quo and things by default will never change then. Um, and so I think the other thing to keep in mind too is like I've had to have these conversations with people who have like, you know, much larger platforms than I do that have more experience that maybe feel like in a position of power. Um, and that is even very, very challenging, but I still to do it because it's so very important. I am so proud of you. And honestly, like you said, that is so true. If if you don't do anything, nothing changes, right? If everything stays the same, nothing changes. So you need to change something that you're doing, whether that be like speaking up and saying something directly to someone or sending an email, that would be a change that would then result in another change. Hopefully it's all about that ripple effect, right? Yes. 100%. Yeah. So two more questions. I just, again, it's pretty obvious that I love, um, how you talk so much about taking up space. So for the women who are listening, because I truly do not think any men listen to the show, but for all of our listeners today, um, what would you tell them to do if they want to start taking up space today? What's one thing they can do? Oh, man. Okay. So one thing that you can do today if you want to take up space is just, I think it's really important to start believing that you deserve to take up space, right? Um, and so that process, like how do you start to deserve it? I think like you just have to start to think about like, what questioning things right so like if you know there's one particular area like think identify one particular area where you think you are like shrinking in your power right mm -hmm. and I want you to think about that one thing and then number two I want you to start to ask yourself like why is it that you think you're like shrinking in that area and then three like what's the worst case scenario if you just start showing up bigger in that space if you just start taking up space like what's the worst that could possibly happen and i think when we do that it's easier because we start to realize like the worst is usually not that bad um and it's actually probably really good and in in that like the benefit from that will be so much that we won't even care what like the worst possible thing is so i think that's what we have to do start examining why it is that you don't want to take up space in that area that's so good and so true. Often we assume there's like this big, bad, hairy, scary thing that's going to happen. But then when we actually give ourselves the opportunity to examine, we realize that there's nothing really bad that could happen if we. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I'm so happy you brought that up. And then finally, the question that I ask every single one of my guests is what does it mean to you to be unbreakable? Ooh, unbreakable. I like that question. Um, so I think when I think about being unbreakable, I think that uh, no matter what we go through, right, and we inevitably go through hard things, I think that we can always show ourselves compassion 
And when we show ourselves compassion through whatever it is, we know that all it's always going to be okay. Um, and that even when we maybe mess something up really, really bad, um, show ourselves grace and show ourselves the same compassion that we would show somebody else. That's wonderful, Chrissy. And I just have to thank you again for coming on the show with me today. Everyone is going to love this episode. And obviously with all the talk I shared about your Instagram account, I know people are going to go check you out on Instagram. So can you share like where everyone can find you on social media and start connecting with you? Yes, absolutely. My Instagram is I am Chrissy King. Um, that's where I'm most present on social media. I'm like on Twitter, the same um, same handle, but I'm really just on Instagram. So you can just find me on Instagram. Um, and Facebook is Chrissy, or I'm sorry, facebook.com backslash Chrissy King Fitness. And then my website where I do all of my writing, all of that information is housed is ChrissyKing.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, girl. Thank you. It was so great to chat with you. I really appreciate you having me on. 